Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I. <laughs> Welcome to Kitty's birthday. My brother name is Ozzy, and I'm die boy. Thank you. From missing from Mommy's Bobcast. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Kiwi Birth Tales. I am your host Jordan. I am a mum of two boys. I've got Jai who is almost four and Ali who has just turned two. I also have a business baby, Your Birth Project. And if you're pregnant or you know someone who is, then you need Your Birth Project in your life. It will help you to create your best birth. There are so many exciting things coming for your birth project in 2024, but that means with all of these new exciting additions, there will be a price increase from 2024. So if you want to lock in the course at the price it is now, which is 89 New Zealand dollars, make sure you go and check it out on the website. It has got everything you need in there that is going to help you to just prepare for your labor and birth, know what you have rights to do, make informed choices, prepare your birth environment, make sure your birth partner is ready for your birth. There are so many different things in the course that you need. So make sure you go and check that out. I have a wonderful new episode for you today with the lovely Sinead and she takes us through a horrific <laughs> pregnancy. I'll let her do the talking but yeah she had hyperemesis and um, it was just like a total disaster for her. And I just really made me feel um, so, so, I don't know what the, I don't even have the right words. I just felt like so heartbroken for her that that was her experience. And I know other people around the world experience that too. And it's just, yeah, awful. So she talks a lot about that. She also talks about her and her husband's journey to becoming pregnant. They needed some help through IVF um, to do that. And then we talk through her labor and birth, which was an elective cesarean, and she talks us through why she decided that. So there's a lot in here. In her postpartum period, she has suffered with um, some quite serious mental health concerns. So she's talks really openly about that. Um, but if you're not ready to hear about intrusive thoughts and how that can impact us in our postpartum periods, then make sure that you just skip over that part of the episode. But if you are, I think we've all got a lot to learn from Sinead and from people who speak openly about mental health in their postpartum period. And I know myself, like I suffered with intrusive thoughts post the birth of both Jai and Ali. And it feels like you're just thinking, who the heck am I? So what Sinead shares is very real. It's very raw. So just um, a reminder, if you get to that part of the episode and it doesn't feel like the right fit for you today, then just skip over that part. But I know you're going to love the episode. Sinead is so funny. She makes me laugh throughout the whole entire episode, even though her circumstances were less than ideal. So I hope you love it. I'd love to hear from you. Hit me up on Instagram, Kiwi Birth Tales or Your Birth Project, or you can find me on email, jordan at kiwibirthtales.com. Enjoy the episode and we will speak soon. Hi, Sinead. Thanks so much for joining me on the Kiwi Birth Tales podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. This is a highlight of my life. <laughs> <laughs> I hope to really make it um, worth your while and feel like, <laughs> still feel like that at the end, but we'll see how we go. That, um, I'm going to love it. It's going to be so cathartic because um, <laughs> I had the worst pregnancy, so I just love to talk oh, about no. it. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, cool. Okay, well, we are going to talk all about it today, but before we get into it, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about you and who is in your family? Cool. So my name is Sinead Corcoran Dye. I am a writer slash journalist slash small time content creator on Instagram. <laughs> um, I have a husband. His name is Stu. I have two stepsons. I have my three-month-old daughter, Vivi, who we're going to talk about today, and I did have a cat called Leo, but since we brought the baby home, he hates her and has decided to just leave home, and he's now having an affair with our neighbor. (laughs) Oh, Leo. (laughs) That's all right. We had a good run. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Cool. Amazing. And why don't you take us through the journey to pregnancy for you and Stu? So what did that look like? And yeah, talk us through your experience. Yep, so me and Stu met at work in 2020, um, and we fell in love instantly and knew we wanted to get married and have a baby and all of that, because he already had two sons from a previous relationship, but I um, really wanted a baby of my own, as well as my stepson, Mm -hmm. who I love, Um, and so he knew that was like a a non-negotiable for me if we were going to be together. Um, And because Stu has low motility sperm, um, he had to have IVF to have his two sons, which meant that we never used contraception, even from like day dot, because we were like, the Mm -hmm. chance of getting pregnant naturally is so slim. And if we did Mm -hmm. happen to get pregnant naturally, like we were fully all into our relationship, fully committed. So we would have been stoked, you know? Yeah. Amazing. And so... When you sort of started thinking about like your journey to becoming pregnant, did they feel like there was like a right time to start trying or did you just, you know, go with the flow and see what happens? What was your sort of thinking there knowing that potentially you might have to go down the IVF route? So we started really soon um, and that's because my husband, I think he was 44 at the time, he's 48 now and so um, obviously time was not on our side you know what I mean like I you know like men can have kids when they're like 100 but obviously I was conscious of um you know his age and he you know was a tired man already with two kids (laughs) and also um I lost my mum when I was quite young and so that was always in the back of my mind that Mm -hmm. like I didn't want that for my child like obviously you can't predict Mm -hmm. what happens in life but yeah. I sort of wanted her wanted her to have the best chance possible of having her dad for as long as possible. So yeah. um, we started the process about two years ago. So I think we've been together about two years. And we only waited that long because it was really important for me that we were married before we had a baby because um, I, really, I didn't really grow up with like a... Um, you know, a, a traditional family dynamic. And I really mm. wanted that for my child and so you know that two two uh four kids white picket fence you know mum and dad married mm. kind of vibe and so we first started the process yeah about two years ago and we did the first phase of um oh so anyway so we went to fertility associates to start the process and um that's when we found out that we didn't qualify for public funding because I always thought that everyone qualified for three rounds of publicly funded mm. IVF um, under the system, but they do it under a points scheme. And because Stu already had two kids, they counted them as my kids. So they were like, you don't qualify for free IVF, mm-hmm. um, which I didn't know. and was such a 
like a shock and I was so gutted mm. about it because I was like that's not fair like obviously my stepchildren are my kids and I love them to bits but mm. I wanted a biological baby and I thought I should be entitled to that you mm. know um mm. and so at the time my husband was like look even if we did qualify for publicly funded IVF um you know it's it's often like years long wait list we would have gone yeah. private anyway and I was like I get that but it's just the principle that hurts mm-hmm yeah, I didn't um, actually know that. I didn't realize. I knew about the point system, but I didn't know that. Um, yeah, how the sort of kids in your family would contribute to that. Yeah, and obviously, you know, you love your children a bit. I love all my children yeah, the same. Course. But it was the yeah. fact that, like, I was like, this is so unfair that my husband and his former partner got. You know, they would have been entitled to free IVF, and I'm not, and that's so unfair. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was yeah a lot of like hurt around that, um, and so then we you know we were like okay well, whatever we'll we'll go private which was a huge financial toll for us like we had to put it mm. on our mortgage, and I felt really guilty around the cost because I knew like yes my husband already had two kids we were only having this baby because of me, mm. and you know, the house that we owned, the mortgage, that was my husband's house. That was his money. Like, obviously it's our money. We've married, but the, it, I felt bad because it was his money that he was having to spend on IVF to have a baby that I was sort of making him have. Like, obviously mm-hmm. he wanted a baby and he loves our daughter, but he wouldn't have had another child if it wasn't, you know, if he hadn't met sure. me and me wanting one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so two years ago, we started the process um, and we did the first phase. So we decided to split it into two parts and we were going to do the first phase, like the growing the eggs, the injections and the that's horrible stuff and then making the embryos and freezing them. And we did that first phase because I wasn't working at the time because I was really mentally unwell. So I w- we were sort of like, you know, it's terrible that I'm mentally unwell, but this might be a good time to do all of that stuff because we don't know, you know, the sort of emotional and physical toll mm. that that, you know, mm. hormonal process is going to take on me. And we, yeah, we wanted to do it in two parts because we wanted to make the embryos, freeze them. And then after we got married, like, I think like six months later, we were going to put one in. Yeah. So did all the uh, injections and all of that stuff. Um which definitely took a physical, emotional toll on me. Like I was really, Mm. I don't know if it was the hormones, but I was really nauseous from the injections. I was vomiting in the kitchen sink all day, um, which was like a sign of what was to come because I was later going to get the worst hyperemesis in the world. Mm. Um, And the emotional toll as well, like there was definitely a level of resentment towards my husband which I hate um because Mm. it's not his fault but I was like this again is so unfair I'm having to do all the heavy lifting you know with the injections and being sick Mm. and like the you know how hormones um you know fuck your mental health and stuff and I'm you know I'm 30 I'm perfectly fertile you're the one with the fertility problems not Mm. me and I'm having to do all this and all you have to do is like wank into a cup do you know what I mean like this is just (laughs) yeah again this is so unfair and so I hated that I was resenting my husband because of course fertility issues aren't anybody's fault but Mm, yeah mm. I did resent him yeah and how did you like those feelings I think um 
are just so important to talk about because there's so many different people going through like their own version of um, fertility challenges and yeah, like feeling those types of feelings, whether they talk about it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and did you talk about it with your husband? Like, did you talk about how you were feeling and like, how did you sort of work through those feelings at the time? Oh, absolutely. Like I am not one to bottle things up. Like I talk, <laughs> you know, as, as you'll find out, I talk too much of anything. So yeah, I was constantly venting to him and I was like, this is unfair. Why do I have to do this? You're the one with shit sperm. And he, he knows that all he needs to say, all he's supposed to say is just like, I know, I'm sorry. You're mm-hmm. right. Like you are the victim and I, I'm so sorry. I wish I could do the injections. Um. Yeah. And so, yeah, so we talked it through, like, open comms all the time, which I think was good because yeah. otherwise, you know, you do bottle that up. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And so talk us through the next stage. Like, you're obviously doing the injections and um, you talked about splitting into two parts. So what happened after that first part? Was it successful and what you were trying to do? And, yeah, what happened next? Yeah, so so that first part was all good apart from being sick. Um, but then I, I had that thing like hyperstimulation or whatever where you grow too many eggs, um, mm-hmm. which is amazing, of course, but it meant that I was in so much pain because you have to have the internal exams and the egg retrieval, and I had to be put to sleep for the egg retrieval because every time I did the, they had the internal exams done, I was like crying with pain because everything was so mm-hmm. swollen. Um oh and so that was awful. And also, I had this weird a reaction, which I wasn't expecting, where after they made the embryos and were driving from from the clinic, I was crying because I was like, I've abandoned my children alone in this freezer. They're all on their no. own. And mm. I just wasn't prepared for, like, weird emotional responses like that. Mm. Um, mm. And also, I because I was 30, I only had one friend who had been through IVF and I just didn't really know anyone else my age who had done Mm -hmm. it so Annabelle was like my absolute rock through it but apart from that I felt I did feel pretty isolated because I didn't really have anyone to talk to about the resentment towards Stu and all of that Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. so yes then the next phase um so after the wedding we so we got married in October and the fertility associates the clinic was closing down for Christmas so we were like, they said to us, you know, if you want to get in before Christmas, you have to come when you get your period after the wedding. And so we were like, okay. And so then I got my period literally like the day after we got home from the wedding. So four days after we were married. And so we were like, oh, okay, well, I guess let's, you know, go put the first embryo <laughs> in. Um, and my husband, Stu, because he'd been through IVF, he was like, look, I just don't want you to get your hopes up because most of the time the first embryo doesn't work, like it won't take. Um, but it means that the next time you put an embryo in, your body's like more primed for it and the second one often works. So like, let's just do this first one as like a practice. And then when the clinic opens up again in January or whatever, we'll put the second one in and that one will hopefully work. So this was just supposed to be practice. And I was like, okay, cool. Um, It wasn't a practice. (laughs) It worked. We got pregnant. And I was obviously over the moon so happy. But also I was like, fuck you, Stu. Like, you told me it wasn't going to work. And we had no honeymoon period. It's summer. I had all these plans to be, like, drinking in the sun with my friends. And instead I was, you know, sober and miserable on the couch. But then I felt guilty for feeling mad because – 
you know, we were so lucky to have it work first time. Um, so anyway, but yeah, around during that process, they put the embryo in and we were supposed to wait 10 days before doing the test um, to find out if we were pregnant. And they're like, don't do any home tests, just wait mm-hmm. for us to do the blood test. And I was like, okay. And I lasted, I think, nine days. And then on the <laughs> ninth day, I remember I was in the car parked outside of my house crying my eyes out and I called my friend Annabelle who had been through IVF and I was just like I can't handle this anxiety and uncertainty not knowing if it's going to work like I've been fine up until now but Mm. now I'm just I'm just losing it and so I went and I got KFC in the (laughs) pregnancy test and I came home and I took it and it said it was positive but I knew that that didn't necessarily mean it was positive because we had to wait for the proper one from the clinic Mm. but I was like nah that like I'm pregnant and I remember I called Annabelle before calling my own husband to tell her (laughs) (laughs) Um, and that afternoon I actually had a job interview lined up and so I just and I was pregnant um and I remember driving to the job interview and they were like tell us why you want the job and I was like I don't know like I don't really like and I was just so unenthusiastic because <laughs> I was like I don't even care like I don't want this job I've got a baby coming like I just mm. didn't you know what I mean I didn't care about anything else yeah um yeah, yeah. and so then the next day we did the blood test and fertility associate, associates called us and they're like you're pregnant and we were so excited um but I remember I I you know I was everyone usually waits 12 weeks before um telling anybody just you know in case it doesn't pan out Mm. and I remember I said because I'm an overshare on Instagram I share everything but I said to Stu like Mm -hmm. I'm not going to share my pregnancy online I'm just going to like wait like go offline for nine months like Kylie Jenner (laughs) and then when the the baby's born I'll come out with this like dramatic beautiful video announcing my surprise baby and that's because um I have really bad health anxiety because my mum died of cancer and so I'm always paranoid that like I'm gonna get sick or Mm. things aren't gonna work out for me and I was like the baby's not gonna make it and if I shared it on Instagram and then I you know had a miscarriage or whatever I would Mm. feel so ashamed which is just such like a ridiculous response because there's nothing shameful about you know mm. a, a miscarriage or anything like that um and if I had seen someone else share a pregnancy announcement and, but then share that they had miscarriage I would not you know what I mean I would not be like oh my god yeah. how embarrassing yeah, yeah, yeah. but you know yeah, you are yeah, so yeah. much um harsher on yourself yeah yeah um and also Oh, that obviously changed because then I was just so excited. So I did announce it and then I ended up writing a pregnancy column and sharing every single thing. (laughs) Yeah. um, But as well, what was hard was I am on quite hardcore medications um, for my mental health, like Mm. um, antipsychotic meds, antidepressants, anti-anxiety meds. And lots of those are definitely pregnancy safe. But the ones that I'm on aren't like they're really hard out and so I had to come off all my meds and have an Mm. unmedicated pregnancy which was really difficult at times um because as well as not being on my meds that I was usually on I also um, had to stop vaping I had to stop drinking 
And those were all things that I had always relied on as ways of like relaxing. And I had never mm. built up any toolkit of like how to, like I don't meditate, mm. I don't do anything wholesome. And so I had no <laughs> ways of, like I didn't know any other ways of um, relaxing without like yeah. medical substances. So that made yeah. my pregnancy really difficult at times, particularly because I ended up so sick and in such a dark mm. place mentally and physically. Yeah. Yeah. And let's like, yeah, we can sort of unpack that a little bit more because I know that you had hyperemesis, but before we talk more about your pregnancy, when you say that you came off, like you had to come off all of your medication, because mm-hmm. um, I know there'll be people who listen to this who, you know, potentially are on similar type of meds or take um, medication for different um, mental health reasons. Yeah. Were there medications they could like switch you two that could like help or you just had to go like cold turkey and see what happens yeah for sure so I my, I have a psychiatrist who I'm in the publicly funded system because my mental health issues are quite severe and so I, I have regular access to my psychiatrist Giselle and uh, mm-hmm. yeah she's amazing and so she when we came up you know with the plan that I had to come off meds she was like but if things get really bad um there are options like I, I'm not a doctor mm. so I don't know what they are probably like yeah, Sertraline yeah. or Citalopram but she was like saying that um, what's weird about pregnancy is lots of mental illnesses go away when you're pregnant because mm. your body knows that it has to protect this baby um, and it's also the same with lots of autoimmune um, di- mm. disorders and diseases and um, they often go yeah. away in pregnancy as well so for the first two trimesters I was actually fine without being on meds Mm. um in terms of my underlying mental health problems but yeah because I did get really bad hyperemesis and end up quite Mm. depressed as a result um I probably should have gone back on meds sooner and yeah and Mm. reflecting on my pregnancy I wish that um my doctors and obstetrician and psychiatrists had sort of recognize how bad I was getting Mm. and how much I was deteriorating even though I wasn't really aware of it and sort of put me back on some pregnancy safe meds to sort of cushion the blow Mm. of when I had the baby because as I'll get into yeah I ended up with really severe postnatal depression which I Mm. wonder would that have happened or would that have happened so badly had I been put on meds you know yeah Yeah, yeah, that makes total sense. Okay, so let's talk pregnancy first. Um, Mm -hmm. Did you go under the care of a midwife or an obstetrician? And how were you feeling? Like once you knew you were pregnant, how did you tell Stu? Um, Yeah, and how were you feeling in your first trimester? Talk us through that. So I told Stu, as I called Annabelle, told her, and then I called Stu um, and told him, and he was stoked. (laughs) He was like, let's just wait for the real results tomorrow. (laughs) um and then we found that out and he was yeah absolutely delighted um I remember he was really anxious because his two sons had been really bad sleepers like they both didn't sleep through the night or for longer than like 45 Mm. minutes until they were like four years old and so he was really worried about that but thankfully Mm. we were like blessed from the heavens above and we have a dream baby um (laughs) So that's good. Um, so then we we went with an obstetrician and that's because of my, like I mentioned, I have really bad health anxiety 
and I really wanted like regular scans, like more than the, mm. the two scans that you get um, with a midwife. Um, yeah. And so, and we went with Dr. Nick Walker from Origins, which I, um, I picked him because I heard um, Julia Matthews in one of your episodes say that she really loved him. Mm. So I went yeah. with him and we were really lucky to get in because his books are full all the time. Um, mm. And as amazing as he was, and he was, he's such a good obstetrician and he, you know, was, is amazing at making sure your baby is safe and healthy. Um, mm. If I reflect on it, I think I would have really benefited from more holistic care, um, which mm. I might have gotten from a midwife because of the hyperemesis and, you know, my mental health was in, you know, tatters. Um, Nick, as he should be, was was primarily focused on the health of the baby, and so mm. at times I sort of felt like, well, what about me? Like I'm, I'm, an, I know mm. the baby's healthy, and that's that's you know great, but I'm I'm not doing well, and so it mm. did start to feel a bit like Handmaid's Tale vibes. Like I'm just this vessel carrying this baby, and and mm. people don't really care about me. Um, so yeah, so if I was to do it again, I'd, I think I'd still go with an obstetrician because we, we loved him and it was so reassuring to see the baby all the time and know that she was mm. fine. But I think if it was possible, I'd love to have like a midwife as well to just mm. take, take care of me and make sure I'm all right as well. Yeah. 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 That is so important. And I've never had an obstetrician, so obviously can't talk to like the differences, but I'm sure there'll be people who listen to this episode and, and resonate with those, um, with those feelings as well. Yeah. Cool. And so you are under an obstetrician care. Did you do all of the sort of standard testing? Um, I know you were getting more regular scans, but did you do like all of the other testing that's offered in New Zealand? And did you want to find out the sex of your baby as well? Yes, so we did every test that was going, um, because obviously <laughs> I'm a anxious yeah. nut, yeah. Um, and we did the NIP test, and finding out the gender was so important to me, and I so desperately wanted a girl, because we already had two boys, obviously, and also mm. because um, me and my mum, like my mum was a single mum for a lot of the time and it was just me and her and we were so close it was like Gilmore Girls vibes and so mm. I really wanted a daughter because I really wanted to sort of recreate that um you know Lorelai and Rory vibe and and mm -hmm. that would mm. like it, it was I felt like it was going to make me feel connected to my mum if I had that with my mm. daughter and so yeah it turns out we did have a girl so that was amazing <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 amazing and how did you um go with like in terms of I know you got hyperemesis um did you have that for your whole pregnancy like what were your pregnancy symptoms sort of from trimester one onwards yes so trimester one I obviously had morning sickness um which kind of clouds my memory and I can't remember any other symptoms I had because that was so dominating mm. you know what I mean like I was so unwell yeah. um yeah. and so by 12 weeks it hadn't gone away and it was getting worse not better and so I think Nick mm. said oh this could be hyperemesis but um don't worry we'll get you on the meds um and it will probably go away by 20 weeks and yeah so throughout my pregnancy I was put on every single anti-nausea drug under the sun mm. like 
tried all five of them, tried a combo of them, nothing worked. Um, but they, he was like, don't worry, because 99% of the time, hyperhemesis goes away by 20 weeks. Mm-hmm. So I um, remembered just, yeah, counting down the days till I got to 20 weeks. And I was like, I just got to make it like, you know, six mm-hmm. more days and then this will be gone. 20 weeks came and went and it just got worse. And I think that's mm-hmm. when like a Nick our obstetrician was like, okay, so you must be like the 1% where it um, mm-hmm. lasts right through your pregnancy up until you give birth. And I oh think finding that out, I just, that was just the beginning of my downfall mentally. Cause mm. I was just like, this is not going to be a good six yeah. more months. Um. Yeah. And so, yeah, the high premises was horrific. Nick later told me after I'd had my daughter that he was like, I didn't want to say this at the time, but it was, it's the worst case I've ever seen in my 25 year career. Mm. Um, And I sort of said to him, like, I kind of wish you had told me that at the time because it would have really validated my experience because I just felt like I was, I was weak or I was overdramatic. But yeah, it was just hideous. Like I, was couch bound basically the whole nine months. I had barely any social life, but when I, and I would try to go out with friends, but you know, I was just on the brink of fainting because I was so dehydrated mm. and malnourished. I'd go out to dinner with them and then I'd have to leave and I'd like vomit in the gutter outside the restaurant or I'd vomit all mm. over myself while driving home. Um, I felt like such a shit wife because I just, I wasn't working. So I wasn't, contributing financially to our family mm. and it, but then on the, at the same time I couldn't even get like I couldn't empty the dishwasher I couldn't vacuum mm. I couldn't do anything because I was so sick um and also in the second trimester that's when you know your baby starts moving or in your tummy mm. and that's supposed to be this beautiful amazing thing um but for me her m- wriggling around made me feel even more nauseous so I mm. hated it um and at the same time yeah I'm a journalist and the Herald had asked me to write a pregnancy like a weekly pregnancy column for them thinking Mm. like because I'm usually like traditionally like I'm a really like funny writer and I write like you know (laughs) comedic stuff so I think they had commissioned me to do that thinking that that was what it was going to be like this funny take on Mm. pregnancy and it was just such a depressing read every week (laughs) like I remember my dad said he was like this is the biggest form of contraception for teenagers <laughs> like you you are really not selling pregnancy <laughs> yeah. um and also in second trimester um because I put a lot of weight on through being on antidepressants and doing IVF when I got high premises I started losing weight and obviously you're supposed to gain mm. weight when you're pregnant to make like a cozy home for your baby but I was losing weight because I was so sick. And I remember I had such conflicting feelings about this because mm. I liked that I was losing all this weight and I was starting to look like how I looked like before I was on meds, before mm. I did um, IVF. So I, I, I secretly loved it. But at the same time, I knew it wasn't healthy. I knew it wasn't good mm. for the baby. And, you know, people would say like, you know, like the, strangers not strangers but people I knew would be like you look amazing you look you're so hot now that you're you know being pregnant but my husband was like you don't look amazing like this Mm. isn't what you're meant to look like you're a curvy girl you're not you don't look good you're not supposed to be half the size you were at six months Mm. pregnant 
Um, so that, yeah, that was hard. And then also, yeah. as I said, I've got two stepsons. And I think when you don't have like that biological bond, because they're not your biological children, you have to really work hard to maintain that relationship mm. with your stepchildren, which yeah. I just did not have capacity to do. Like up until that mm. point, we had always been so close and I'm like a fun mom. Like, you know, mm. I would do hide and seek and play fun games. And then I, when I got hyperemesis, I just couldn't do anything. I couldn't mm. be bothered and have the energy. And so I really drifted away from my stepsons which was just awful um and then I remember two weeks after I gave birth to my daughter um so you know I was still like I had c-sections raw scar and Mm. I'd had one hour sleep but I remember driving one of my stepsons to an airplane shop toy shop like an hour out of Auckland on one hour sleep just because I was like I need to repair our relationship as Mm. soon as possible like I need my kids Mm. back um so yeah so that was hard yeah yeah and there's like obviously so many um different parts of that for you but I think like if for someone who has never heard of hyperemesis before um and obviously you talk about like the weight loss and the Mm -hmm. like feeling like you're not contributing around the house but can you just explain to us like what did a normal sort of day look like for you and your pregnancy like how often were you sick what like what did it actually what was your actual experience day to day so day to day wouldn't even start in the day the day to day would start in the night Mm. where my nausea was so bad that it would wake me up like it would wake me from Mm. my sleep and I would be vomiting through the night. And oh then I'd God. wake up in the morning with a migraine because I was so dehydrated. Um, I'd try to eat something. And, you know, they say, like, eat plain toast, eat crackers. Mm. That doesn't, for me, anyway, that didn't do shit. Like, no matter yeah. what I ate, I would vomit. So I would eat breakfast, vomit it up, um, mm. lie on the couch, watch TikTok for eight hours, try eat again. <laughs> vomit Mm. try have some dinner vomit so I was just not keeping any food down but I knew Mm. like the doctors had all said they're like I know this is horrible for you and you're basically starving but don't worry your baby's still getting all the nutrients she needs so she's fine but what Mm. they hadn't told me was but if you can't keep down water for you know 48 hours you'd need to go to the ER And I didn't Mm. realize that until um, I was about eight months pregnant and I hadn't kept any water down or food, obviously, in, I don't know, like a few days. And I started feeling like I was, I was, I felt like I was about to black out. Like I start, I felt like I was losing consciousness. So I said to my husband, because he was at work, I was like, I'm going to Uber to the hospital. I'm probably Mm. fine, but I'll keep you posted. And I got there and they put the the heart rate monitors on my stomach and they were like, oh, this isn't good. Like your baby's heart's going mm. way too fast. She must be really dehydrated. She's in distress. They had to call Nick and say like, you know, you might have mm. to come deliver the baby early. And it turns mm. out she, after I had like five bags of IV fluids, she was fine and she calmed down. But I was so angry because I was like, why did you not tell me that? Like my baby was in distress and mm. I didn't, no and imagine if I hadn't gone mm, to mm. ER like what 
would have happened. Um, so yeah, and so yeah, through the second trimester with yeah with the hyperemesis as well. While when my daughter got bigger, like as she was growing, um, she was obviously so big on my organs, and so she, I would feel even sicker. Um, and I couldn't even hold down like one cracker because she was just sitting on my stomach and she was also because she was so heavy on my bladder every time I would vomit I would piss myself and so I I, it's just it gets worse and worse so by the the last few months I was wearing like adult nappies like it was just so mortifying on every level Um, I had like burst burst blood vessels around my eyes I ended Mm. up with a um a flared rib like one of my rib bones was sort of kicked out of place by the baby or by the vomiting um and it was the most agonizing pain I've ever had in my life like I was taking Mm -hmm. tramadol like every two hours all day and I was crying 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 from this rib pain like you could see the rib bone sort of sticking out of my skin Mm -hmm. and um I also because I was so faint all the time from being so malnourished, I keep having accidents. Like I would like slip over on the footpath um, mm. or I, when I was nine months pregnant, I I dropped this big concrete statue on my foot um, because I was just so clumsy because I was so malnourished. Mm. Um, I, yeah, I dropped the statue on my foot, broke my foot, was in a moon boot at nine months pregnant with this broken rib, so sick. Like, and so I was obviously like in such a dark place um and I was just having really dark days and dark thoughts sometimes which you know Mm. like I was like I can't like I would say to my husband I literally can't do this anymore like do you know Mm. what I mean like I I'm gonna have to have an abortion like I can't do this and I felt Mm. so Mm. ashamed and it wasn't until after I had my baby and I started um reading up about hyperemesis and um trying to raise money for the organizations and stuff that I learned that 50% 50% of women with hyperemesis consider abortion, um, mm. 20% consider suicide, and 10% end up terminating their pregnancies. Like, that's how yeah. bad it was. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I'm not, you know, I'm not alone. But, yeah, it was yeah. at that point that, in hindsight, I think I should have been put on antidepressants. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And, like, through all of this, did you have – any time to think about anything else like were you thinking about the point where you have to give birth to your baby like were you interested at all in any birth education like what did that side of the pregnancy look like for you knowing that like eventually you were going to give birth to your baby so I knew right from the get-go that I was going to have an elective c-section because I yeah yeah I obviously have really that I had even before I was pregnant I had really severe anxiety I don't handle yeah. uncertainty well or not knowing when things are going to happen, like in terms of when I was going to go into labor, how long it would go on for. And yeah. then because I was so sick and in such a bad way, mentally and physically, that just reinstated, you know, how I yeah. was like, I'm definitely having an elective C-section. Um, yeah. So I did your birth project course um, and sort of just did the C-section part of it and all the stuff around like anxiety you know trying to be in a good place and stuff which definitely helped me in the lead up to the birth but as I'll get to um 
when I was on the operating table having a full-blown panic attack I'm sorry to say but it all kind of went out the window like I was I can only imagine (laughs) yeah and I and I hate that because I wanted to say you like in in your course like save the day but I was beyond help at that point um (laughs) but then in terms of birth education we decided to do an antenatal class and I was the one that drove that because obviously my husband had had two babies. So he was like, mm-hmm. I don't really need to go to a class, but it was really important for me to go because I didn't have many friends who had babies. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, and I, we didn't have family around. Um, and so I it was really important for me to sort of make, I mean, I hate this term. It's so cringe, but like make a little village, like make yeah. friends yeah. with other mums that, um, I could talk to like I thought you know maybe we'll message every now and then or maybe mm-hmm. meet up once a month but it turned out like we paid two hundred dollars for this class and it is literally the best money we've ever spent like mm-hmm. that group of mums that I met at my antenatal class are now like my number one friends basically like I hang out yeah. with them every yeah. day it's such an incredible yeah. group like we can you know share all the hard stuff with each other and it's just a no judgment zone safe space and I don't know especially because you know my pregnancy was so awful and after I had my daughter that was a really hard time and I Mm. honestly wouldn't have gone through it without this group of women yeah 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 I think like that is my favorite part of hearing people talking about antenatal classes like often the actual birth education can be a bit Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hit or miss, but the group of friends or like the people that you meet there are just like worth their weight in gold. Absolutely, like they. And I think as well, like with a group of mums, when your babies are all the same age, you're all in the thick of it together, you're messaging in the middle Mm. of the night, those friendships are accelerated so much faster than Mm. traditional friendships. Like, you know, I've known them three months, but, and they're, you know, I, yeah, not to exaggerate or anything, but they're they're like my best friends now because you, you are living the same life you every mm. you've got everything in common you're having the shared experiences you see them most mm. days and so obviously I had my normal best friends but these this group of women is, is right up there <laughs> yeah 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 amazing and were there any plans for like when you're thinking elective c-section dates and like getting to full term and all of that sort of stuff knowing yeah. how unwell you were with hyperemesis and also your mental health like not being in a great place what mm-hmm. was the plan around your c-section date and like how far along were they planning to do that yeah so basically um obviously the ideal time to have a baby is 40 weeks because by that point they're you know fully grown they're ready for the world mm-hmm. um but I was in such a bad way that Nick was like okay I'm willing to do it at 39 weeks because the baby's lungs should be fully developed by then like obviously there's no guarantee sometimes babies do need to you know be put on a a breathing tube or go to NICU or whatever but that we've got pretty good chance of her being all good at 39 weeks but I think by 37 weeks I was just in yeah I I couldn't go any longer Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. so I remember 
like, because I remember starting off with my appointments with Nick once a month or whatever, and I would come in and I'm such a people pleasing loser that I would be like <laughs> making jokes and being so friendly. Yeah. And yeah. through those nine months, each appointment, I just came in just, in a, you know, even more deteriorated. Mm-hmm. And then by 37 weeks, that 37 week appointment, I just walked in and I just was crying my eyes out. And I was like, you have to take this baby out. But I could barely speak. And Stu was with me and he was like, you have to take the baby out. Like, she can't go any longer. Mm. Like, I need my wife back. Like, I don't think you understand how bad this is. Mm. And, like, Nick, quite rightly so, was like, I know. Like, I know she's, you know, she's in such a bad place. But, like, I have to look after the baby. Like, I can't Mm. take this baby out and put her at risk. Um even though like he totally it was like totally validated how much I was suffering but it was so hard to Mm. get that balance right because we had to look after the baby we didn't want her to come out and be on tubes and NICU like and I felt so guilty that I was I felt like I I, it's so wrong of me to put myself before the baby Mm. but that I was just I was so sick um so yes we were begging with him and eventually he was like okay I can do it at 38 weeks like if you're willing you know like you have to accept the risks and stuff mm. there's a chance that she will have to go to NICU but she'll probably be fine um yeah. so I was like okay yeah for sure like I'll you know as soon as you can do it that's fine with me I accept the risks um because mm. I just I had to by that point um yeah. yeah and so I remember we got he was like okay we'll just like in a you know hang by the phone and I'll get you a date for your c-section and yeah. I remember we got, he gave us that date and it was for 39 weeks. So it was like right at the tail end of 38 weeks. And so basically 39 weeks and nothing had changed. It wasn't going to be any earlier. And I just mm. lost it, like crying. Cause I was like, you promised me. Um, mm. And he was like, okay, I'm so sorry. Like that was the best I could do. But why don't I put you on like an on-call standby list, which means that if someone has their baby early or has to cancel their C-section, we can get you in last mm-hmm. minute. Um, and so I was like, okay, yeah, let's do that. I'll join the the waiting list. Like we are on standby at an yeah. airport basically. Um, yeah. And so I remember he called on Sunday night and he was like a slot's become available for Monday morning. So that was like the 29th of July. Mm. Um, and yeah, so do you want that slot? And we we're like, Absolutely. And because I'm such a freak who, like, wants, you know, good content for the gram, <laughs> I call Fiona Goddard, who I think you've done an episode with. And yes, I was like, yeah. I was like, last minute, but I'm having a C-section tomorrow morning. Could you please come around and blow wave my hair and do my makeup? <laughs> <laughs> so, like, oh, I love that. Despite being on, like, death's door, that was where my hair yeah. was at. I was like, i got to get a great gram. <laughs> um, <laughs> love it. So... Next morning comes, Fiona's 10 minutes away, and Dr. Nick calls, and he's like, I'm so sorry, the slot's been filled. Like, you're not having your C-section today. And I just broke down. I think mm. I hung up on him. I was like, I don't even want to talk to you. I hung up, cried mm. my eyes out, had to text Fiona being like, don't worry about the blow wave, not happening. And I just went to bed and cried mm. all day. Um, but then later that night um we got another call and they were like look another slot's opened up tomorrow it's not a definite but you can hang out at the hospital all day and and hopefully a slot will become available and we were like okay we'll do that so we 
packed my bags. I didn't get a blow wave. I was like, look, <laughs> we're not going through that again. I can't not be able to round. Um, yeah. So we went in on August 1st and we spent the whole day in the pre-op waiting room. Like I was in a gown and we were just sitting there waiting basically. But I, by that point I was vomiting in the pre-op waiting room. I had like a horrific migraine. And so eventually, and I was with all the other mums who were hoping to get a C-section, but mm. thank God a nurse like came in and she saw how bad it was and she was like, okay, I'm moving you to a private room. Like, you mm. know, you're clearly really sick, so we're going to make you a priority, which sucked for the other mums, but I was like, don't care about you guys at this point. Yeah. Like, I need to get this baby out. Yeah. Um, so we went to the private room. We were there for a couple of hours and then all of a sudden this nurse rushes in and she was like, look, we can do it in 15 minutes. Are you ready? And we were like, oh my God, like, okay. Mm-hmm. But obviously I was vomiting my head off and I started, because it was only 15 minutes late, 15 minutes notice, I started to really panic. And mm-hmm. I was like, I think I need to be put to sleep. Like I can't be awake for this. Mm-hmm. But they were like, oh, okay, like, are you sure? Because if you if you get put to sleep, you won't see your baby be born and you might regret that. And I was like, okay, like, mm. I don't want to be a cop out. So I'll, I'll try be awake. And she was like, look, there's this thing we can give you. It's like this relaxing drug that um, will just relax your body and your mind. And so you'll be in like a, you know, pretty dreamy state. And I was like, yes, sweet. Yeah. Like, shoot me up with that ASAP. <laughs> Hmm. um so yeah so then I got taken to the operating room by that point I was having a full panic attack um they put the epidural in um and then they gave me this relaxing drug and I was like okay like everything's gonna be fine I'm gonna go into a blissed out zone I can do this but the relaxing drug was for me anyway absolutely horrific um Hmm. It basically, instead of relaxing my body, it made me feel like I my drink had been spiked. Like I felt absolutely, yeah, like just on another planet, not in a good way. I was slurring my words and I was trying Mm. to say to them, I was like, this hasn't worked. This has made it worse. You need to put me to sleep. But that I was slurring my words and I, I started to panic even more because I was like, they can't understand what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. They're going to start cutting me open and they can't hear me saying I need to go to sleep. And I think I reached out and yanked Stu, my husband, towards me and he just looked in my eyes and he knew and he was like, you have to put her to sleep right now, like mm-hmm. right, right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that's all I remember. And then yeah. I woke up an hour later um and and they had said because she had to leave the room for the c-section and they had said look when she comes around she's gonna be really groggy she might be quite upset because you know she had to be put to sleep she didn't get to see the baby mm. born um she's gonna be yeah really drowsy so just be prepared for that he comes in my eyes ping open and i'm like hello <laughs> like, and the nurses. <laughs> The nurses were like, we've never seen anything like this. Like, I <laughs> pinged awake, and yeah. he handed me the baby. And even though I was just coming to from a general anesthetic and I was drugged up, I was like, get your phone out, film a video of me. We need the gram. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, love it. The dedication yeah. is there. It's good. <laughs> always. Always committed to the gram. Yeah, amazing. And so 
do you remember like can you vividly remember that phase like that period of time afterwards like when did you get to make the V what was Shu doing yeah talk us through that whole experience I really don't remember much and I only remember it because I have that that video of me like absolutely drugged out of my mind smiling at this baby um but that's (laughs) all I really remember um until I guess a couple of hours later like the post-birth phase um where I was taken to my room with the baby and I felt high as a kite like Mm. (laughs) I was just like deliriously happy like I was like it was like I was on drugs like I just felt so (laughs) groovy and stoked because obviously my baby was out and so I didn't feel sick and I remember saying to Stu I was like I feel so good and I was like why don't we get an Uber and like go out to Ponsonby tonight (laughs) (laughs) he was like are you joking he was like you've just had a baby you're paralyzed from the waist down and I was like no I'm fine put me in a wheelchair and I remember and I, and I posted this video on Insta because I was like I'm gonna wait a few days I'm just gonna before I announce the baby on social media I'm just gonna mm. soak up this newborn baby bubble like you know don't like turn my phone off didn't obviously 10 minutes after she's born I'm like editing this video of her together putting on a beautiful Taylor Swift song on it <laughs> chucking it on the gram with this caption and it, the caption, it was like, um, last day of my nightmare, first day of my forever girl, or something so cringe, which is so, <laughs> so mm. off-brand for me. Like, I don't write stuff like that. Um, yeah. And also, I look back on that now, and I'm like, what a joke, saying the nightmare's over, like it's all behind me, because it's like, little do you know, you, two weeks later, you're going to be in a psych ward with postnatal oh depression. <laughs> yeah yeah oh god and how were you like physically because I've had a c-section too um and I remember like that feeling of first trying to stand up and like all of those first shower like all of that how were you physically after your cesarean like when did you do all of those things and how were you finding yeah that first sort of 24 hours after your birth so the first 24 hours physically I felt fine because I was obviously jacked up on morphine and I remember the nurse came in and she was like, how are you? And I was like, oh my God, I don't know why people say C-section recovery is tough. I don't <laughs> feel anything. And she was like, yeah, you're like on a morphine drip. Um, and obviously because I felt high as a kite, I couldn't sleep the entire first night that she was mm. born. So I stayed awake all night like I was on a bender. And I was messaging absolute randoms on Facebook that I hadn't spoken to in years being like, I just had a baby. Here's a photo of her. <laughs> and like randomly yeah. went to primary school with and they were like, okay, cool. I don't care. <laughs> and then <laughs> eventually everyone in New Zealand went to sleep because it was like midnight. So I started messaging people who I knew who lived overseas. <laughs> and we're in a different time zone. <laughs> like I was yeah. just like being an absolute lunatic. Um, and so it wasn't until I got moved to birth here and obviously taken off my amazing morphine drip that I was in a lot of pain and I was like, okay, mm. like this actually is that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And was there like, were you still taking, I think they gave, what did they give me? Maybe tramadol or codeine or something for the pain. Like, were you still taking pain relief when you went to birth care or did they just sort of get you off it? What was the go there? Yeah, I was still taking tramadol. I think I was taking everything except the morphine, but I was still yeah. in um, so much pain. 
and mm-hmm. also I had read about this this really rare thing which of course happens to me which is that mm-hmm. um if you've heard of it it's that trapped gas pain in your shoulder oh yes I've never had anyone on the podcast with that but I have heard of it yeah so it's very rare so of course I am the one percent <laughs> and I remember yeah I was in pain in the c-section but I was all good and one of my best friends Hannah turned up to birth care to visit me and meet Vivi and I like she came in the room and I opened my mouth to say like hi welcome and I just remember screaming because I had this pain that was so unbearable in the tip of my shoulder like on my yeah mm-hmm. right on top of my shoulder and my obstetrician was like oh yeah like I should have warned you about that but I didn't think it happened to you on top of the hyperemesis and everything mm-hmm. but he was like mm-hmm. it's people compare it to like a crocodile biting down on your shoulder like, like that feeling of teeth piercing your skin um mm-hmm. so that was awful and tramadol like nothing really touches the sides but thank god it only lasted um a couple of hours I think and then I just had like the standard c-section pain to deal with Mm. yeah 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 and what about your like hormones and how you're feeling mentally postnatally at that stage did you notice like people often talk about a change in hormones when your milk comes in like how were you finding breastfeeding what was going on um with all of that so mentally I still felt fine at this point um I initially had decided before I had believed that I was like I'll give breastfeeding a go but if I'm not into it for whatever reason or it's not easy then I, I'll stop mm. but obviously when you have your baby and you get to birth care and there's all those breast is best posters and stuff it, mm. it sort of seeps mm. into you and you do start to feel like oh um you know breast is best like I I have to push through the pain and do this for mm. my baby like if I switch to formula that's a cop-out she's not getting all the nutrients she needs which isn't really true um Mm. and so I I breastfed for 12 days and I then I realized I was like now this isn't working like I need to go back to the original plan because I would be crying while I was doing it also my boobs were so swollen from the c-section because obviously your body swells up that my milk was trapped um so it was really painful she was so hungry and Mm -hmm. also I was you know I'd been so sick and I have really high sleep needs because of my mental illnesses that Mm -hmm. I you know I was like I need to put her on formula so that Stu can share the load and he can get up and give her bottles in the night because I I need sleep that I need sleep to recover from the c-section from you know everything I've been through um and also I was like I just want my body back like Mm. I've been so sick for nine months I I want my body back I don't want to be in pain anymore I would love a glass of wine you know what I mean yeah yeah um so yeah so once I made that decision that was great um in yeah. terms of the postpartum hormones, I didn't experience that baby blues sort of drop until mm. we got home from birth care a few days later. And I start, I remember we got home and I put her into a cot and I came downstairs and just burst into tears because I was thinking about one day she will get old and she'll be an old lady and she'll die. And mm. I remember just <laughs> crying my yeah. eyes out. And then I think the next day it got worse because my husband's sister and her family 
were coming to visit to meet the baby and they said they're like we'll be there at 2 p.m and we had just yeah we'd just gotten home from something and it was 12 o'clock and I was like okay I've got time to have a shower wash my hair try shave my legs all of that you know like get get cozy and feel fresh for these visitors and they turned up two hours early as I'd just gone into the shower and I was obviously still bleeding um I couldn't mm. re- we had our body like a shower gel on the floor I couldn't because of my c-section I couldn't bend over to reach it um so I couldn't wash myself I couldn't put my like maternity nappy thing on and so I was mm. crying and I was so angry at Stu because he was downstairs talking to them and I was so angry at them for turning up early and so I think yeah that's when the hormones obviously hit me and I was just really upset yeah. and overwhelmed yeah yeah and did you notice like it was slowly getting worse what was what were you like experiencing throughout like the next couple of days after that because I know that you ended up like back in hospital um after a couple of weeks so how did you sort of get to that point so after yeah so that baby blues came I had a rough couple of days um as I mentioned with you know the crying and just melting Mm. down and then it went away and I um was like okay that's you know that's great that was just standard baby blues people talk about that it's fleeting all good um and then over the next week or so um I started getting intrusive thoughts like Mm. I would be holding my baby and it's weird because I would if I was carrying her down the stairs I would grip onto the handrail because I was so paranoid of dropping her um Mm. Jeremy like I was so protective of her I was so careful and so cautious not to hurt her you know obviously like I loved her so much um wouldn't want anything to happen to her but at the same time sometimes I would walk past like my coffee table and I would just get this thought pop into my mind like oh I could bash her head on the coffee table Mm. and that was so distressing and I was like how am I having these thoughts pop in while at the same time being so careful not to bump her into anything or drop her and so it's so confusing and I felt so ashamed of it um Mm. of these intrusive thoughts because I didn't I would never act on them I didn't want to bang her head into the coffee table so I was like why are these thoughts coming in like what's wrong with me Mm. and it wasn't until talking to one of my antenatal mum friends like who's a psychologist because I was like should I talk to her and so then I finally plucked up the courage and I was like, hey, this is random, um, but I'm having these thoughts um, mm. of banging her head onto the coffee table. And she was like, yeah, same. She was like, I was eating a bag of M&Ms the other day and I thought about chucking one in the baby's mouth, like, so he mm. choked. And she was like, I would never do it. But intrusive mm. thoughts are mm. totally normal. So many mums have them. We know you'd never act on them. It's nothing to be ashamed of. So once I heard that, the thoughts actually went away like it's like as once they were validated and I wasn't afraid mm. of them they they stopped um popping into my head so yeah. that was good but then yeah that week or the weeks that followed I started to get really physically sick like I started mm. getting migraines again I was vomiting again and I was like what the hell like is the hyperemesis back like this doesn't make sense mm. Um, I was running really hot and cold, so I was either freezing and shaking or I was drenched in sweat. Um, 
yeah so I and then I started to think I was like has something gone wrong with my c-section like have they left an instrument Mm. in me or have I been poisoned and because I was like this isn't right and also at the same time what started to happen was when my daughter woke up in the night crying I could not get up like I felt like I had like concrete bricks on my chest weighing me down Mm. I couldn't wake up to feed her and I remember I messaged one of my mum friends who has two daughters and I was like something's wrong with me like I can't get up and also Stu was doing Mm. all the night feeds so I was sleeping like 12 hours all night couldn't get up for the baby I mean great night's sleep but still waking up feeling like I hadn't slept at all and she was like that's not right she was like you're Mm. like that's not you being lazy or whatever like that something's wrong Mm. because she was like biologically like caveman vibes mums have to like you know something propels them to get out of bed to feed their babies even if they're really tired. So the fact that you literally yeah. can't get up, something's wrong. And so coupled with all the physical symptoms, like, hey, you know, the headaches and vomiting, I was like, yeah, mm. this isn't right. So me and Sue went to my GP and she ran all these tests and she was like, look, nothing's physically wrong with you. Your C-section incision looks fine. You don't have an infection. Um, you're all good. And I burst into tears because I was like, I'm not all good like something is Mm. really wrong um like you're missing something and she was like I I honestly think this is a mental health thing you need to go to a psychiatrist and I was like it's not mental like I'm not sad um Mm. I'm not crying I love my baby I'm not depressed I I'm sick like I feel like I've got like the worst flu in the world and she was like Mm. look go to your psychiatrist so I walked into her in my psychiatrist's office um Giselle and I just burst into tears and she looked because she's known me for years she just took Mm. one look at me and she was like you have severe postnatal depression I'm calling Starship Mm. and I'm booking you a bed and you have to go there this afternoon um and so that was awful um so Mm. I had to stay at the mum and baby unit at Starship for a week and Um, not because like they thought I was any danger to myself or my baby it was Mm. more because when you get put on meds at the start you have to go up in dosage really slowly like you take a small dose for a week or two and then they'll crank it up a little bit and then they crank it up a little bit more but if I stayed in the mum and baby unit they would be able to ramp my meds up really fast because they'd be able to monitor like my blood pressure and stuff yeah so I stayed there for a week and I hated every minute of it because I had this new, like brand new baby. And I, my husband, Stu couldn't stay with me obviously because he had to be home to be with our other kids. Mm. So I was on my own in there Mm. just like so frightened, um, trying to learn how to look after this baby on my own because for the first two weeks of her life, my husband had obviously been doing everything Mm. like making bottles and, changing nappies and stuff because I was recovering from a c-section so then I was utterly thrown in the deep end in this kind mm. of scary environment um on my own and it was just yeah it was it was really awful and I was really mm. sad um but after I got put on meds it was like day and night like I was instantly better all the physical symptoms went away I wasn't sick anymore. Um, I had energy. I could feed her. 
Um, and so like as hard as that was being away from my husband in like a kind of scary place, it was like the best decision for our family. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And did you find like the the way that you were feeling and like all of these symptoms that you were having as a mm-hmm. result of the postnatal depression, did they take long with the meds to like change? Like what was your experience while you were actually there? And then how did you make the transition back to being at home? So honestly, like as soon as I don't know if it's like a um, placebo effect, but basically as soon as I took the first pill, the symptoms went away and it was probably mm. because like they had, they had been able to diagnose me. So I wasn't frightened anymore. I knew what was wrong with me. Um, mm. I knew that I was going to get better really soon and I didn't have to be scared anymore because they had figured out mm. what the problem was. I knew that like, you know, help was here. And so even though the meds probably hadn't taken any physical effect, like the placebo Mm. effect made me feel better. Um, And as, as hard as it was being in like a, a, that kind of environment, like a psych ward kind of environment where you do feel like, you know, you're a a crazy person. Um, Mm, mm. The staff there are just wonderful. Like they would sit with me and hold my hand well, I like cried and talked about how, like, how hard my mm. pregnancy had been and how my baby didn't look like what I thought she'd look like and how I thought that I was supposed to feel this overwhelming love for her, like love at first mm. sight. I didn't feel like that. She was like a stranger to me. Um, obviously, I, knew, I, I was compelled to look after her, but I didn't mm. feel like she was my baby and they just would yeah. hold my hand for hours and let me cry and tell me that all that's totally normal um lots of mums feel like that and it's not until their babies start like um smiling and interacting that you Mm -hmm. and having that Mm -hmm. reciprocal relationship that you do start to feel that bond so yeah they're amazing and also while I was there they taught me how to give her a bath you know like they gave her a bath Mm -hmm. with me and they showed me how to swaddle and like they just yeah there's such wonderful people there and so as well as getting me better on meds and giving me like free therapy they also Mm. taught me all this practical stuff that made me feel really empowered and like I could do this without Stu like I was perfectly capable um and I was going to be fine you know on my own not that I'm on my own but you know yeah um so yeah so I was there for I think five days and then I came home and yeah everything was was groovy from there thank god yeah 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 amazing and how have you found things since then so talk us through yeah your experience as a mum since you left um the hospital and like you've got the medication that you needed and yeah um you feel a little bit more confident in yourself and like you know your ability to do things um with Vivi how has your life been since so this is like the happiest I've ever been in my life. And I mm-hmm. honestly think it's because I went through such a dark time. I now don't take my health for granted. I don't take anything mm-hmm. for granted. Like all these little things, like the sun's shining in the sky. It's a beautiful day. Like all of these things, like I just like appreciate so much now because I mm-hmm. had such an awful time um and now Vivi's she's three months old and she's smiling and she only wants me to hold her and it's just mm-hmm. so nice and so now we've totally got that like you know that that bond and I'm obsessed with her yeah um yeah. 
on a day-to-day it is really hard juggling three kids especially with the age Mm -hmm. gap because obviously you know my husband works um and he works quite late in the evenings and so I'm running around town like taking the boys to their sports while juggling Vivi and cooking dinner and doing all of that and that's really difficult um Mm. but I recently at one of my you know like baby sensory classes I was having a big vent about how hard it is you know as happy as I am it's really tough and one of the mums was like why don't you just find like a little teenager on your community Facebook page to come help you in the afternoon um and I was like no like I'm not like a you know a rich mum who's going to outsource and get help like I can Mm. manage I'm fine and she was like it's not just rich mums who need help like all mums need help three kids is a lot Mm. um and there's nothing like there's nothing shameful or you know Mm. anything like that about getting help and so yeah her saying that I was like okay you're right so I've recently got um it's the older sister of one of my stepson's friends and she comes in the afternoons and helps me like empty the dishwasher and take the boys to Mm. soccer and that's really good because while I could do it all myself like it would mean that in my tiny pockets of free time when Vivi's asleep and the boys are at football or whatever I'm emptying the dishwasher I'm doing laundry and it means that by the time the evening comes and Vivi's in bed I feel so sad because I haven't gotten to just sit and hold her Mm. do you know what I mean because Mm. I've I've got so much on my plate that I'm I don't have that nice time with Mm. her um and at the same time because I was just couch bound for nine months I am now really wanting to make up for lost time so I'm like going out for boozy lunches or going shopping Mm. or like you know going to the movies and pooning Mm. Vivi around town doing all this stuff because I I couldn't do it for so long um Mm. but I'm definitely I've realized in the past couple weeks I'm definitely overdoing it um because I'm you know exhausted um and also I don't want to miss I don't want to look back and regret this first few months with her where she does want to sleep on my chest and she wants to be cuddled because I'm hooning around town doing silly errands that actually don't matter do you know what I mean um yeah and also I think I've sort of created a monster because Vivi has been driving around town to nail appointments and pubs since she was like a week old and so now she hates being at home doing nothing (laughs) she will only sleep in the car or at the nail salon um so yeah I'm trying to slow down for her Mm. and for me because I don't want her to um not be able to relax like I find it really difficult to relax and do nothing I don't want that for her um but also last night I got really frustrated with her because I was wanting to do something I can't remember what it was like some little bit of work and she was crying and I got really angry um because I was like I I just miss being able to do what I want when I want but then I was thinking about it later that night and I was like actually if you flip that round um this is actually a good thing I can't do what I want when I want all the time because that will mean I'm forced to slow down you know, mm. and I'm forced to just sit with her and yeah. not rush through things and not do everything all the time. Like, those things don't matter. This is being with her is what matters. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. 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 
yeah I think like there's lots of different um different parts of your experience that I think like different people will relate to but that feeling of like having you know like no time with your newborn baby because you've got older kids in the house and like um the juggle and and feeling like you can't or don't want to reach out for help because you don't want to be like one of those people I think like and you said earlier like the word village but I think the reality is like a village is the way that (laughs) a lot of us survive through this motherhood journey because it is it is really hard to do things like you just can't do everything on your own and I'm yeah it's really nice to hear that you've found like a way that you can um you know have someone else there to do some of the things for you because like doing it all on your own is just yeah really hard work totally and honestly the Mm. biggest thing or the most important person in my village is who is looking after my baby right now while I do this podcast is Mm. this woman Jane so when I was about six months pregnant me and my husband signed up to this organization called Grand Friends which is mm-hmm. um, a little organization that matches families who don't have grandparents in their lives with older people who don't have, you know, family in their lives. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And it's amazing. And we met this lady, Jane, through it, who she's with Vivi right now downstairs. Um, <laughs> and yeah, because my mum, like I said, died um, when mm-hmm. I was younger and I, my dad's not around and Stu's parents are older and they live in a retirement village in Nelson I'm mean, Nelson no, so in Hamilton um mm. and so yeah we met Jane when I was six months pregnant and we got to know her and you know went for coffee with her all the time and now she's just part of our family she's Vivi's granny and she takes her out for walks whenever I need a break or takes her to the beach because I mm. hate the beach and you know people can't stop her and they're like oh cute baby and she's like yeah this is my granddaughter Vivi um and she when I had her she cooked like 30 dinners for us to have in the freezer Mm -hmm. she comes yeah yeah, she drops around at a moment's notice whenever I need her and it's also lovely for me to have like a surrogate mother figure you know like she wants to teach me how to cook and she you know she'll run the vacuum around the house and look after me and if I'm going through hard times she'll you know give me a big cuddle and it's just so lovely for me it's so lovely for her I think to have this new granddaughter and it's so lovely for Vivi that she will grow up with a a grandma that she otherwise wouldn't have had without my mum you know yeah yeah oh that's lovely that's really nice that you've found like that person in your support system and I'm sure she absolutely adores it as well oh yeah Vivi is like I I don't even matter to her anymore it's all about (laughs) Vivi yeah yeah oh that's so nice and um is there anything else Sinead that we haven't covered in your story that's important to you to share or yeah anything else that you want to include um I guess just that I am now in this hard place where I really want another baby because I like Vivi obviously has her big brothers, but they're so they're like 10 years older than her. And I really want her to have, it's always been important for me to have at least two, you know, Mm. children close in age so that they grow up together. Because when I lost my mom, I didn't have that. Like I was on my own. Mm. Um, Mm. And, and, but my husband, obviously, he's 48 now, 
he's you know got three children we can't really afford a fourth and also he you know he's exhausted so mm. that's hard and also I have such a high chance of having hyperemesis again that he's just like I don't know if I can watch you go through that mm. um and so that I'm finding that really difficult because yeah I, I really want another baby yeah. um yeah. and so the past few weeks have actually been like looking into surrogacy because mm. I'm like maybe that could be an an option do you know what I mean like I, I wouldn't mm. as much as I'd want to carry my own baby I I would be so sick then I can't risk that again so this would be a way around that yeah. um yeah. and so I'm I'm definitely wanting to look further into that um mm. if anybody hears this and wants to be my surrogate <laughs> that'd be very grateful <laughs> I'll make sure we make that like a trailer for the episode <laughs> yes please that'd be great <laughs> yeah 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 I think there'll again be lots of people who can relate to that feeling of like desperately wanting another child but the reality of your pregnancy and like the potential of that happening again while already having three children in your house like yeah I can totally understand why you're um looking into alternate options because it's just not like realistic or something that you would ever want to do well totally and a part of me is like oh am I even like deserving of a surrogate because you know like same-sex couples who need one who don't have any Mm. other options they should be the ones who get the very limited surrogates in this country but then I'm like well maybe I what I went through is is valid you know like I was yeah of course it is so sick in hospital every 48 hours like in a really dark mental place maybe that is that's okay too Mm. if I if I got a surrogate if there's if there's enough Mm. to go around you know yeah 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 no I definitely think so I think I wouldn't wish hyperemesis on on anybody ever just yeah so many of the birth stories I've had on this podcast where people have experienced that I just think you don't really know until you know right and it's not something that you um you want to find out absolutely yeah would not recommend to a friend (laughs) no absolutely not amazing well thank you so much Sinead for coming on the podcast today I've really loved talking to you and you've got such a different um experience to what I've had on the podcast recently I think there'll be people who take different things from your episode and I just appreciate your honesty and your openness and I'm very grateful that you were willing to spend time with me this morning so thank you oh honestly the the honor and the privilege is all mine Mm -hmm. um I just yeah I love sharing my story um I don't want this to scare anyone off having a baby though don't Mm -hmm. worry there's no way that all of these bad things that happen to me will happen to you Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Kiwi Birth Tales. I hope you have enjoyed it. I am looking forward to bringing you another episode next week, so make sure that you tune in and turn your notifications on if you want to be the first to know when a new episode goes live. Wherever you're listening from in the world, I hope you have a beautiful day, a beautiful week, and I will talk to you soon. Where's that dust coming from? Still finding debris after vacuuming? Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum has 8,000 PA of powerful suction to remove debris deep in carpets. And it's totally hands-free. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com. That's E-U-F-Y dot com. And discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799.